And welcome to episode 33 of Chin Music. 33. We should do like a third episode, then we can have a 33 and a third and be like cool rockster people. Uh, I have nothing more to tangent. Uh, this is Chin Music, podcast by Fangraphs. I'm Kevin Goldstein in just lovely DeKalb, Illinois. And, and joining me in the co-host chair today, surrounded by construction sounds as they build a bagel store next to him in the beautiful city of San Francisco. It's Fangrass' very own Ben Clemens. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. I'll be doing a lot better when I can get bagels instead of noise. <laughs> oh, I saw them at Coachella one year. Bagels instead of noise. <laughs> they were they were good. The second album was a little rough. Um, we're gonna have a fun show for you today. It's it's uh it's the final. We're entering the final stretch, folks. It's uh, the final weekend of baseball. It's nice to have games that matter. We'll talk about all that kind of stuff. Uh, our special guest was a bit of a scramble due to some technical issues, but our special guest is going to be Fangraph's very own, Meg Rowley, who's going to talk to us about, let's face it, the most fun team heading into this. They have the best fun differential. It's the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and then we'll talk about our musical guest, Bad Bad Hats, who got a huge write-up in the Onions AV Club today. Uh, and then we'll read your emails, Moment of Culture. We'll catch up with Ben and his things in San Francisco, including bagels. And we'll go from there. Uh, ben, are you ready to talk about baseball? Absolutely. So let's start with, and it's, it's weird for us to do this because it is, it's Thursday afternoon. And by the time this comes out, the games of Thursday night will be in the books. And because we're at the end, you know, we got you know, five games left, um, four for some teams. Whatever happens tonight is going to dramatically impact the playoff probabilities. Um, but but as we speak, um, the Blue Jays kind of saved their season last night with a, a huge win against the Yankees on a uh, Bo Bichette oppo bomb. Um, the Mariners kept being the Mariners. Their chances have gone from single digits to somewhere around five to one. Um, this is just fun. Like it's especially fun just because we had the Yankees and Blue Jays playing each other, and the Blue Jays beat Garrett Cole last night, um, or they won the game. Garrett Cole started. They uh, won Robbie Ray at Cy Young, and they they won Robbie Ray at Cy Young. Robbie Ray goes to that tonight, I believe. Um, what if Robbie Ray goes two innings and gives up seven? Does he still <laughs> get it? Um, but you know, and the Red Sox lost a game they shouldn't have to Baltimore, and 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 then they won. But uh, this is. The, the thing that I liked the most about the results of Wednesday were just that, you know, as when I worked for a team, Jay Jaffe's daily chaos updates brought me nothing but stress. Um, as someone who's simply an observer now and a fan of the game, Jay Jaffe's daily chaos updates bring me nothing but joy. And what happened last night significantly increased our chances for an extra game. Yeah. Um, if you could essentially call your shot for all the games that happened yesterday. I think you would have picked 
this exact suite of results. Right. If you want, if you're rooting for chaos. Yeah. Which, which we all are. I assume. Everybody should be. Yeah. I mean, I understand if you're like a Yankees or a Jays or a Red Sox or a Mariners fan, you just like them to, you know, sure, but you lock know, it up, but have some sympathy for the greater good. If you're just a, if you're just a baseball fan, it's time to, it's time for the extra game. Um, you know, the, the, the schedule, yeah, you know, the Rays go to New York and play the Yankees, but at the same time, the Rays have locked their whole world up. And so um, I'm not sure they care. And, and, and you know, the Red Sox have what should be a, you know, they're on the road, but what should be a fairly easy time um, in Washington. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays host the AAA Orioles, uh, you know, this could this is going to go out of the wire. I, I I think like even though, you know the the Jays' chances are low, the schedule is certainly on their side. Yeah, I think that the schedule helps a little at this point, but I mean obviously I like the Yankees' chances best. Game in hand is pretty big when you're playing four games. Mm-hmm. But it really does feel like there will be something to decide on the last day, which is pretty cool. Which is a great time, and and let's you know I, we we. I feel like we've ignored the Mariners all along, and maybe we shouldn't have, and, and we'll talk about them more with our guests. But, you know, the Mariners host the Angels, and the Angels in the second half are, you know, a really, really awful team. Um, so and Otani's not going, which yeah. means they're going to rely on... You know, would you even consider Angels pitching AAA? Sure. If, yeah, 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 I'd bet. I mean, they're going to roll out... It's like Suarez... Diaz, and I think it's a TBD or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah that TBD is going to be... <laughs> on Sunday. going to be bad. Right. And, you know, and, and again, like, even though the Yankees are playing the Rays, the Rays are going to be setting up for the postseason, as they should. They've earned that right. Like, I, I, I know people get mad when teams um, maybe don't put out their most competitive lineup or, or whatever on the final weekend in a game that's playoff implications, but they've earned that right, you know, and, and they have every right to exercise that right. You know, the... In the National League, the Brewers are going to be in Los Angeles. The Brewers' position and everything is pretty much locked up, and I'm sure they're just going to be lining up for the playoffs. Yeah, that said, I think if you're the Brewers, it behooves you to to keep the Dodgers from being likely to win the division. Mm-hmm. The more you can decrease your odds of playing the Dodgers, the better for any NL team. They're, right, right. They're really good. I mean, the Giants are great, too. It's not like yeah. you're getting much edge by doing this, but I think if you can decrease the chance of having to face a team that's going to run out Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler, Max Scherzer, and Julio Arias as their pitching staff in the playoffs, you probably want to. Yeah, but I don't know. That almost feels like you're getting ahead of yourself just in the sense that the Brewers are going to be playing the Braves. Oh, yeah, or, it's a minor Or the thing. Phillies. I mean, I know the Phillies still have a, uh, <laughs> as, we, as we sit, a 0.2% chance of winning the division. I would um, say the Braves, yeah. Yeah, so the Brewers are going to play Atlanta, and I, I don't know. I just feel like worrying about the NLCS and be getting oh, it's uh, ahead of yourself It's certainly very marginal, but obviously resting your players is more important than having them not punch a wall and break their hands. But with uh, that out the window. Well, yeah, or, or that into the wall. Um, the Braves, or not the Braves, the Dodgers won a, a, a wacky one last night, um, hitting four home runs in the eighth inning. Um one of home, those home runs came off the bat of, of Mr. Bellinger, who I hate to say he's gotten hot, but there's at least some signs of life lately. Um, 
if you're the Dodgers, are you rolling out? I mean, we talked, you know, we talked to, to Jorge Castillo about this a couple episodes ago. Like, is is Cody Bellinger in their starting lineup come postseason? It's a really tough question. I, I mean, they started they started Gavin Lux in center last night. Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand why. I think that I would be very tempted to roll with Bellinger just because he's a good defensive center fielder mm-hmm. and hit him eighth, and you know, deal with the fallout from that. I think he kind of would kind of get it, even if he'd be a little annoyed to be hitting eighth. Yeah, he's batting a buck sixty one this year, right? I think you can say, "Hey, man, like you're batting a buck sixty one, but we want your defense in the lineup." I, do you trust Gavin Lux as a center fielder? No, right. <laughs> I I would have to think Bellinger is as bad as his current stats to even consider it, and I guess they might. But I don't know. Center field defense seems important on a team like this, where you can sacrifice one spot in your lineup. Right. Um, I want to talk about Bellinger, and I know you wanted to to, to speak specifically to him as well because he is about to enter um just an insanely strange world uh in the sense that um he's making 16.1 million dollars in 2021 and he will be arb eligible in his second year in 2022 um he's coming off a year where like you said he's hitting a buck 61 he's a 540 ops he has been he has hit like a pitcher with power. I mean, he has been nothing short of horrible. And like I I can't see the Dodgers just flat out non-tendering him. But if they want to keep him, it's going to cost them more than $16.1 million. Yeah. So as I understand it, you can never have your salary go down in ARB. That's correct. So it's just a it's a cumulative function. Right. The sixteen point one million dollars is is called his baseline. It's where it's 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 your starting point for his next year of ARB. Um I spoke to somebody, um, um I will let's call them a, an arbitration practitioner uh about this case and he's he said, you know, I think you'd you'd you know you'd be looking at a modest raise, like something you know, in, in uh, somewhere in the seventeen to eighteen million dollar range, like you know, one one to one and a half million. Um, and you know, arbitration people, um, are obsessed with comps because that's how arbitration is obsessed with comps. Right. Um, and, and he looked at it, he was thinking about like Chris Davis after the 2014 season who heavily declined after an MVP year who got a $1.8 million range. Um, he also thought about maybe, um, it would be, uh, in the Dodgers best behoof to maybe think about just a two year deal. He has two arb years left, right? Yes. So just lock him up to the two to two years and, and just figure out an exact price for that. Um, but I got to say, like, there's some chance. I don't think it's a zero chance the Dodgers just non-tender here. Because your, your your minimum you can pay him is, is, is $17 million for a guy who, I, yeah. mean, is, I mean, is he the worst offensive player in baseball with 300 or more plate appearances? I bet he is. Jackie Bradley Jr. might have something to say about Jackie that. Jackie Bradley Jr. might have something to say about that. You're but right. he's not good. Um, there, there, have, it, there have been some bad offensive performances this year, but his is pretty bad. His OPS this year is lower than his previous career slugging percentage. That's amazing. But I, it'd be weird to non-tender him, though. It would be, but like it's, it's, a, it's seventeen million dollars. So how much cheaper will you get a good defensive center fielder? A lot cheaper, right? Maybe five million dollars for somebody like that. We just saw. I mean, yeah, I, like who doesn't hit? Doesn't hit? Who doesn't hit? Bradley I mean, got two twenty-four. We just saw. I mean, we we saw it two days ago. Michael A. Taylor got. Um, That's true. You know, 
Yeah. It's it's a two year deal, and like with the with the PBs, it's probably going to end up around ten million. So five so, a year. So, so five a year. Let's say you're getting a. To be clear, not that the Dodgers need to save money, right? But if you're saying I want to spend this money, what's the best use of it? Spending twelve million dollars for essentially the option that Cody Bellinger recovers his old form, right? right. I don't think is terrible. And I, and I, you know, and the other thing is just that, and we can all look at it, and and you know, smart baseball people can look at it, and um, like there is a swing mechanics problem. Um, his ability to catch up to velocity right now is is nil. non-existent. And um, there's also, you know, I it's quite possible he's hurt. Like, you know, that he, there's something uncomfortable with him physically that is preventing him from doing these kind of things. And so, you know, the Dodgers know far more than any of us, obviously, about what's gone wrong here. Right. Um, which would make them, you know, the it put them in the best position to decide the the fan graphs odds of things going right again. Right. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and that one, I think obviously would, would pour into the decision here, but, you know, I think if Cody Bellinger was a Ray, um, you know, or a Marlin or, or a pirate, it would be a much, it would be a much more, uh, you know, I think it would be a short discussion, right? It'd be, it'd be a much different discussion, but yeah, he's just, you know, there's no way they're going to tender him, but you know, I mean, sixty million dollars. That's what the Rays paid at pitching staff. Right. I mean, this dude was the MVP two years ago. Um, it is really remarkable. It's it's such a fall from grace, and 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 it's 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 it is frankly unbelievable. Um, I mean, I do remember, you know, the 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 two thousand seventeen World Series, um, where uh, the Astros felt really 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 good about how they advanced Cody Bellinger, and and felt that there was a significant way to beat him. Uh, you know that was that was big and, and easy to get to, um, and he struck out seventeen times in seven games. Yeah, and you know, and and but same time, like you know, he came back then. You know, two years later and was an MVP. You know, with an OPS over a thousand, and now he's he's half that, like you say. Uh, I you know I think the Dodgers know we do, but I don't. I, the, you know, more importantly, like next week, is this guy going to be in the lineup? I. I I think you got to figure out, you know, what you're, you, there's no more, you can't play politics anymore. You need, you can't really worry about player egos. You can't really worry about making people feel good. It's time to win baseball games. Yeah. I think you could make an argument that you could play Chris Taylor in center. I like know. that argument a lot just because I, you're talking, I'm the world's biggest Chris Taylor fan. Yeah. I think he's, he's a plus, maybe not a plus defender there, but I he's don't feel there. weird yeah. about his defense there. No, you're, he's, 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 you're comfortable with him in center. Yeah. And if you play him there, and you play Pollock in left field, again, he's having a good year. Why would you not? Then there's no space for Bellinger. Maybe he's a defensive replacement. Um, but, yeah, if Taylor feels fine starting in center field against righties, then I don't want to play Bellinger. I don't like the idea of Lux in center. I think that's it's a little too No, I don't, yeah, I don't want that either. But I think Chris Taylor in center. I think an outfield of, you know, Pollock, Taylor, Bets is a, is their best way to go, um, yeah. and and pick a spot for Bellinger off the bench at some point. Like pick a spot. Yeah, he looked fine last night, hitting a really bad looking Emilio Pagan. Oh, he was awful. Yeah, but just dreadful. It, yeah, it is very strange to be talking about not starting Chris Taylor, or sorry, not starting Cody Bellinger. But here we are. Here we are, and I think it makes sense. I mean, it feels very strange to talk about. Um, the San Diego Padres being two games under 500 as well. 
wow, I I had kind of written them off once they fell out of the race. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's three hours as we talk here on, on Thursday afternoon, they're 78 and 80. That's absolutely I mean, shocking. Go to Paul for Grace. It was, it was interesting. Um, often uh, in the mornings while I'm working, I will have um, Mike Farron on my uh, coming through my speakers on his, on his MLB network show with, with Duquette. Um, what's it called? Power Alley. Uh, they had Jay Stingler on and, and Jay's talked about some things he would do, try to do differently um, in terms of, of what he called the tougher conversations. Um, and I think you know, a lot was like him trying to play politics and being responsive to um, the narrative out there that he's lost the clubhouse. But, you know, it's, Jay Stingler's close with AJ Preller. Like Preller brought in his his really good friend, and 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 we've seen this before. And um, like it's it's a weird it's it's not a weird way. To go. It's a tough way to go, you know. Um, you know the A's manager is very close to the front office. Um, Tori Lavulo is very close with Mike Hazen, um, and I think that ends up making it maybe a little tougher to let him go. And I don't, you know, I don't think you are in a great position to answer the question of should the Padres let. Jay Stinkler go, but should the Padres let Jay Stinkler go? Right. I yeah, we're not in a great position to say anything, but yes. I mean, they've 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 kind of retooled a lot of front office stuff. And I think it's to get, if you're going to retool, just retool. Yeah, I think it also it can just be that regardless of the skill of the manager, that people just tune him out because this season sticks in their mind when they think of him. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, it's path dependent. You don't get to forget the past when you go in next year and you think, oh my God, like this, we were working for this guy and we fell apart. I think you have to consider that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um, it, 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 the biggest story in the National League was, in, in a way, yesterday beyond the playoff races, was a story that impacted the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, which we referred to earlier, which was um, like Devin Williams met the press yesterday. I was like, oh, why is Devin Williams meeting the press? Um, and it turned out that uh, after they clinched on Sunday during the celebration, um, Devin did something real dumb and uh, admitted that he had a little too much to drink, uh, got mad about something, not sure what, and punched a wall. Um, and uh, the problem is he punched a wall with his pitching hand. Uh, broke it, needs surgery. Uh, the uh, you know there was talk like he might be able to come back if they get to the World Series, but the overwhelming probability is that this is it for the year for Devin Williams. Um, you know, this led to the usual of all sorts of name calling and and people talking about how stupid he is. And what he did was dumb as hell. But I I don't know. I just feel sorry for the guy. I mean, he did something dumb. I admit. I am. I, I yeah. I agree with that. But I do feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for him. I'm sure he knows he did something dumb. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is not a thing where the next day you're like, that was totally defensible. <laughs> Would do it again if I had the chance. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he's, he's supporting it himself. Um, it, it's, it's really sad. Um, yeah, it's, it's rough, and that's two in a row for him. And I thought he dealt with it well, um, with, with how he dealt with it in the press. I, you know, I, I know there was a lot of talk about how this, you know, collapse. Oh, this is a huge blow to the Brewers. It's certainly not good for them. At the same time... Um, you know, and I know this sounds crappy, but I mean, Devin Williams is a, is a really, really good relief pitcher, um, who's thrown 54 innings this year. And so, uh, you know, you're talking about in, in a seven game series, trying to find 
six to nine outs. Yeah. You know, and, and so they're not light know, on relievers, so I think they're pretty decent. Right. They're not light on relievers who are pretty decent. They they have a good bullpen. They have um honestly who I think is the best bullpen manager in baseball in, in Craig Council as far as bullpen usage. And so, you know, in a, in a playoff series, more probably nine to twelve outs, but it's it's you know, the difference between Devin Williams and the Brewers' third best reliever over the course of twelve outs is actually kind of marginal. I mean, I think Aaron Ashby might be better than him right now. Aaron Ashby's looked really good. Um, I do wonder if they'll they'll in a, in a leverage situation, and obviously, you know, Williams is a leverage guy who tends to pitch the eighth when Hader gets the ninth. Um, I wonder if they'll lean more on kind of a lefty righty combination of guys who have been there before in Suter and Boxberger. Yes, that also makes sense, and they've both looked quite good this year. Mm-hmm. And and so, but you know, and and you know, to be clear, Devin Williams is better. Is I'd rather have Devin Williams in the eighth than Suter or Boxberger, but over the course of four appearances and twelve outs yeah, like in a, a third series, of a run, maybe yeah, the marginal difference between one and the other, I don't think is enough to like you know, I don't think this injury suddenly plummets the Brewers' chances of doing you know going deep into the postseason. Yeah, I I agree. It, I think I'm more sad for Devin Williams than I am sad for the Brewers, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and I'm, I'm I I feel bad for him, and and I know I know we live in a world. Um, there's no room on Twitter for empathy, um, but I, I feel bad for the guy. And he did something real dumb, and and you know, and and frankly, you know, I, I'm fine if you see him being selfish. You know, he should have thought about it, and he didn't. Um, and he should have been in, he should have been in a position to think about it better, and he and he wasn't. Um, I get it, but I still I think it's okay to feel bad for the dude. Yeah, I agree. Um. I want to get back to the American League for a second because in the uh, loss to the Blue Jays, um, Joey Gallo, other than being involved in a in a just a heck of a misplay in left field at one point, but I don't I don't know whose fault that one was. I want to try to watch it a couple times. Um, Joey Gallo struck out once last yesterday, and Joey Gallo, like with all the 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 focus on the games and everything like that, um, Joey Gallo has. A, a puncher's chance at the all-time strikeout record all of a sudden really yes so joey gallo is is yeah i wrote about this yesterday at fangraphs and actually had dan saborski our good friend run some zips projections to figure out his chance and it was about it was like you know it was a to break the record all but to get to the record all, all by himself is about 10 percent um the one strikeout yesterday really hurt him but he's at he's he's up there he's at 209 right now i don't know if he'll play again this season in the regular season, he got drilled in his right. forearm, and he got that hit by pitch, which just might hurt him as well. But Did you got, see his bruise? Yeah, but I, <sighs> he's also that's a that Joey Gallo wants to play. He's a large uh, man too. He can large he can man wants no, he wants to play, and obviously the Yankees games are crucial at this point. But he's a two oh nine right now, um, you know, and the record's two twenty two. Mark Reynolds, and you know, he's going to finish in the top three, four, or five all time in, in terms of single season. Um, and nobody's talking about it, and it's just kind of a fun thing to think about. And and I don't, I, I'm fine with it. Joey Gallo's a really good player. Joey Gallo's like a four win baseball player. He's really really good. Um, draws a ton of walks, hits for a ton of power, strikes out a ton, and he doesn't even. This is what I looked at when I was thinking about you know, this whole Joey Gallo thing. Is just that, like right now, you know, we think about stats that we use at Fangraphs, like like WRC plus, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, we can you can see, oh, that dude's thirty percent better than than league average, right? 
Um, if you just isolate the strikeouts, Joey Gallo, in a season where he's going to threaten the all-time strikeout record, has a, a KWRC plus, if you will. Um, his strikeout rates almost dead on about 50% higher than the league average, which is a lot, That's right? That's a lot. But if you, you know, I went back and thought about, you know, as we all know, strikeouts are way, way up recently, right? Um, and way, way up over the last decade. If you went, go back to 1990, um, Cecil Fielder struck out 180 something times and led the league. Yeah. And that um, would be just and was outrageous over, for them. And was 80% higher than league average. And there were strikeout machines back in the day striking out, you know, 120 times who had higher strikeout rates compared to the league context than Joey Gallo does when he's, you know, popping out or rather striking out 200 times a year. Yeah. I think a very enjoyable thing that I saw this year on Twitter, obviously, you know, not a great site overall, but is that the <laughs> all-time leader in three true outcome percentage plus, you know, relative to the league. Oh, okay. Is Babe Ruth. Yeah. Um, Makes yeah, sense. I mean, he struck out does. way more than everyone else. Right. I mean, three times Babe Ruth, you know, no one's on, no one's on it more than once, but Babe, except for Babe Ruth, who did it three times, which is to, to lead the league in both walks and strikeouts. Yeah. Um, he did it three times in the 20s. Um, another weird playoff story, back to the American League, to the Rays, which was, you know, and, and there's some good reporting in The Athletic by Evan Drellick, um, and, and, and there's been good stuff elsewhere where all of a sudden the Rays are back to talking about playing the middle of the season in the beautiful city of Montreal. And they were going to put up some sort of signage during the playoffs um, in Tampa to let all the people know that they don't really like being there. As our Uh, um, our, uh, Rays fans and Florida resident listeners will... No doubt, correct us uh, in St. Petersburg, but yeah, in, oh God, yes, in St. Petersburg. I've gotten that enough times. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and um, and it turns out you know, they they they're not going to do that now, and it's something about you know they it want, was want, an want unreasonable to, want, want, idea from the start. Yeah, it was just a bad idea. Hey, welcome to the playoffs. Let's talk about how we're not going to play here anymore. Um, they they already decided to pull out, but you know this continues to be. I think mostly a, a a ruse in the sense that they are trying to get the fine people of Tampa St. Pete area to pay for a better stadium. Yeah, and, and to be fair, that stadium sucks. Like, don't let's just, you know, say it. That stadium's bad, right? Yeah. It's a bad stadium. Um, I haven't been there. I don't plan on it. It's bad. And so, but like publicly financing stadiums also really bad. Um, you know, these are teams making hundreds, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, literally in terms of, of increased franchise value. Um, they're all very profitable. They can pay for their own damn stadium. Um, but this is all posturing and they all do it. Cause it's, cause at one point it'd be fun to figure out who the, who the first one was like someone figured out that they could get the city to pay for the stadium because if they didn't, it was political suicide, right? Like you don't want to be the mayor or the council person who voted against the stadium. Yeah, it's um because then you're a bad person. It's going to hurt your political career, and so they can they 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 use that to they leverage that to their advantage and and you know rake the city over the coals in terms of money. They don't they don't need the money, but they can do it, and so they do it because stadiums cost hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more. It's a classic diffuse cost concentrated benefit. Says the guy with the economics degree. Basically, and, you know, it doesn't cost any one person in the town that much, so whatever. Right. Exactly. And so, um, 
you know, there's all sorts of questions uh, that, that have to be answered about if they're really going to try this start in Tampa, go to Montreal, finish in Tampa thing. Um, and just if you're listening, every time I say Tampa, I mean Tampa, St. Pete. But He means Tampa. He doesn't like you. <laughs> I like St. Pete quite a bit, actually. Oh, I just mean and, the people who are pedants about it. And if you're in St. Pete, go to the Salvador Dali Museum. It's really cool. Um, so anyway, if they're really going to do this, like, you know, a quarter of the season in the Bay, half the season in Canada, quarter season back in Florida, there's all sorts of questions of how you're going to do this. And um, there are questions about player housing and, like, you know, does the union have to sign off on having a team, having two homes? Um I, I also thought, Presumably. Like, right. And and I also thought about like front office housing, right? Like you have your offices in, in Tampa St. Pete with all of your executives and, yeah. but also like your analysts and your HR people and your marketing people. Like, you know, it's not just the, the, the front office. It's, it's, training it's everybody, staff. your training staff, your events staff, your, your promotion staff, ticket sales, all of that stuff. Are you moving all of them to Montreal for three months? Are they providing them with houses? I don't know if you know this, but three-month leases aren't super easy to find. And so, like, I don't – the, the feasibility of this, I think, is is kind of through the roof. And and which, and it, that makes me feel even more like this is just them putting it out there to put more pressure on the city to give them a better deal. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, and again, this goes back to not liking the Rays. And I, and, and I know this topic. I have incredible respect for what the Rays do with their limitations. I just think that these limitations are kind of BS. Yeah, it's. I think we end up talking about this every time we talk about the Rays. It's hard to separate ownership and it's hard, yeah. the rest of it. Because there's nothing about the rest of it that you can really quibble with, given the constraints they work under. It's just unreal how good they are. Right, and I don't blame their baseball and the players at too. All. Like, they... yeah, absolutely, it's it's incredible, and they've created a culture around it that that's I think should definitely be, you know, praised to no end, especially with that pitching staff, especially yeah. with the pitching staff, and it's it's a kind of amazing. And I'm a huge believer in in that pitchers are better when they know their role, and I know pitchers are more comfortable bullpen guys when they know their role. And the Rays have created a culture of no role that I think is really admirable in a lot of ways and makes and one of the reasons it makes them better. And I, I'd be fascinated to hear kind of how they communicate with guys. Um, and is it just be ready? You know, is it just it be ready? Be right. <clears throat> or is or is it or is it far more advanced where like you need to be ready anywhere, but the matrix says, like, here's today's lineup. And and you know, if five, six, seven's coming up, the matrix tells us it's you. Yeah, and so if five, six, seven's coming up in the third or the or the eighth, it's you, and you know to understand that, and you know it's, you know I remember, you know uh, a couple like the few times I was on the road with the, with the big league team, um, like guys who actually knew their role, you know, hanging in the clubhouse, sometimes even taking a nap, um, right. like until until the fifth or sixth, right, um, and because they knew their role. And, but, you know, to get in these positions where all of a sudden, like, you got to be ready 20 minutes into the game if necessary, because, you know, we're, you know, we're doing the opener thing tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, and Joey Gallo's uh, up and he's your guy. Right. And the, and, and here comes this envelope of players and, and the, and the matrix tells us that you're up. 
Um, but to create that kind of that that kind of culture, I think is something really admirable and kind of amazing. I, I would actually love to kind of get some insight on what they did there. I agree. That is to me the thing that they're the best at is their players like really buy in and perform well in these roles that seem hard. Yeah, really hard. Um, and and and, in, and they've kind of you know the way someone else, uh, a person who is advancing the race, put it to me. Um, like they've kind of made a role out of having no role, um, which I think is a great way to put it. Um, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, to this point, and also to our earlier point about Jace Tingler's job security, Nabil Krizmat came in last night, gave up the game losing home run. I don't know if he had gotten to the bullpen mound before he was called in. Ugh. It's, it's really not a good look. It's horrible look, and I, you know, I know Pagan was dreadful. Um, but, but the fact do, that Tingler was on the phone, like there are a lot right. of home runs going on, like anyone, anyone at all, just start throwing. Yeah, you can't do that. You, it was, I, it was uh, bad. Oh, and so I mean, how are you going to be? How are you managing the final weekend? Well, first I, of all, are you are you going in any games? I mean, you do have the Padres in town against the Giants. I went to a Giants game earlier this week. It was fun. I watched the Dodgers Padres scoreboard out on the lovely right field wall more mm-hmm. than I really watched the game because they were just pummeling <laughs> the poor Diamondbacks. But I am planning on essentially cycling between all the games with playoff implications from right. the comfort of my home and briefly from the comfort of a friend's home who is, I would say, kind enough, but I would more say malleable enough to let me uh, force my viewing habits on him he said yeah you can watch baseball if you want if that'll get you to come over so i'm gonna do that <laughs> but i'm just gonna yeah. watch as much as i can yeah I'll, I'll do the same it's gonna be a fun time and and i feel um i think chances are really really good that this, we're gonna have baseball game on monday i agree i also i've really been enjoying the i never watched a lot of horror movies as a kid but i think this is freddy krueger or maybe it's Jason, how the Dodgers are just, they're advancing at a steady pace. And no matter how fast you run, the Giants have 104 wins. That's more Jason, yeah. And the Dodgers are, you know, they're <laughs> they're 10 feet away and they're advancing steadily. Mm-hmm. It's It's been a really fun dynamic to watch. And it's kind of fun to flip back between the two games. And you're like, oh my God, the Giants can't keep getting away with this. And they do. Right. And you're like, oh, well, they'll surely pull away then. And no. And and my favorite possible scenario for Monday is is actually easily the least likely, unfortunately, uh, which would be the Yankees playing the Red Sox for one shot for to get into the playoffs. I think my favorite would be a Dodgers Giants tiebreaker, and that's because I'd go. <laughs> so that right? That, so that game would be in San Francisco for sure, right? It would be. They won the season series, right? And so that would be. It also feels like, do you really want to play the Cardinals with Adam Wainwright pitching in one game for your postseason life? Like, I know that the numbers say it's not that big of a deal, as little of a big deal as a one-game playoff can be, because the Cardinals aren't that good. But mm-hmm. come on, like, well, I mean, it's just it's just a basic fact in, in in today's world with you know with the wild card game the way it is being this one single game, um, making the wild card as opposed to winning the division cuts your chances of winning the World Series in half because it's basically a coin flip, right? Um, and so your chances of reaching the real playoffs are complete are, are cut in half because you didn't win the division. So I, that that that's it sounds like, it's, or it might look on the surface like it's not that important a game because they're both playing they're they're both playing on after it's over, right? 
Um, but the the it, you literally have cut your chances of a, of a, a title in half. Yeah, it, right. Like it doesn't feel that huge of a deal. They're both going to the playoffs. Massive We've done it for a while. It's it's probably higher leverage than the AL wildcard race. Yeah, for those sure. teams aren't. I mean, they can win the World Series, but their odds are much lower than these two. And one right. of these two is just going to get one of the second best team in baseball this year. Whoever it is will have the second most wins, and they're going to have their World Series odds just chopped in half. Yeah, just right off the top. Right. And, and are not even in the real playoffs. Because, again, the wildcard game is not really the playoffs. Oh, so I don't really agree with you on that. I, I, I'm just telling you the way it works officially in my mind. I learned, <laughs> I've learned the hard way. I, I, and, and people will tell you this, and writers will tell you this, who, who go to stadiums and things like that. Is that for the and, – and same for, like, you know, major league executives. Um, you will use your regular season credential in a wildcard game. What do you think of last year's games? Or last year's, like, playoff structure? Yeah. Were those... I think those were playoffs, right? I mean, they were so weird because there were no fans, but... Three-game series? Yeah, those were playoffs, right. I bet... I, I I should ask somebody to figure out that out, but, like, I would ask, like, I bet those needed a postseason credential. Oh, uh, they did. Which, 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 they did. Yeah, so there you go. So, the, yeah, so those were playoff games. Wildcard games do not need postseason credentials. Really? Yep. Wildcard games use your regular season credentials. Well, that, that seems like a solid press-based argument in favor of it not being the playoffs. But no, team credentials as well. I, to me, it just feels like a, uh, a playoff atmosphere. It does. And I'm, yeah, I'm just being a shit. Well, that's at least half the point of the podcast is being technically correct. The best kind of correct. Speaking of being correct, we'll take a break. And we'll come back and talk to the always correct Meg Rowley about the most fun team in baseball right now, the Seattle Mariners. Right? That's the most fun team in baseball. I find the Mets pretty fun. <laughs> Wrong reason, though. Yes, the Mariners are definitely number one. Absolute masochist. Uh, we'll talk to Meg, then we'll come back. We'll read your emails and all that kind of good stuff. I'll talk about our musical guest, who you're going to listen to right now in Bat Night Hats. Stick around.
Welcome back to the podcast. It's special guest time. Our special guest is the managing or the executive editor of Fangraphs. I'm not even sure which, but it's the editor numero uno. Uh, <laughs> also a lifetime Seattle Mariners fan from Seattle. Um, I can't believe it's taken 33 episodes to have her on, but her previous demands were unreasonable. And joining us from what I'm sure are luxurious accommodations in the beautiful state of Arizona, it's Meg Rowley. Meg, how are you? I'm I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I uh, I have previously been otherwise detained, and so we definitely picked the right week when my uh, podcast co-host officially went on paternity leave because I'm th- about to be less busy. <laughs> and you also had that long tweet rant about how you charge for being on podcasts and all the research you put into it and all that kind of thing. That's and true, you know. If they just, want you, they should pay your rate. Right, it was just too much, and it's, it's why it's taken this long. Um, but Meg's come on short now, and we appreciate that. At some point, Meg and I are talking about Meg will be uh, sitting in the revolving co-host chair at some yes, point. Yes, for as sure. As we go. But, baby, we want to talk you know, specifically, you are, you are from Seattle, Yes. Were you born in Seattle? Were you born yeah. and raised? So born and raised. Born and raised in, in, in the beautiful city of Seattle. And, and I, Seattle's a lovely place. And Mariners fans have, have a, a claim to being maybe being the most tortured fan base in terms of time since last postseason. And, yeah. you know, as exciting as they were at times, and we even talked early in the year about how they're kind of sneaky good, um, their, their playoff possibilities were always kind of a, firmly in the single digits. And yet... They've had an incredible couple months here. What the hell happened? In 30 yeah. seconds or less. Yeah, it's weird. Because like early in the season, I think you, you did say maybe they're sneaky good. I don't know that they are sneaky good. <laughs> they might not be. a. I think they're a pretty mediocre baseball team. They're at least plucky. They're plucky. And they okay. have some aspects of their um, their team that I think are are surprisingly potent. Um, to put it that way, I mean, if you had told me going into 2021 that the the Mariners would be like fourth in bullpen war, um, I would have told you you were you were lying. And then if you told me that that would have been the result of like Paul Seawalt and Drew Steckenrider, I would have been like, no, that's funny. <laughs> Casey Sadler, get out of here. Sad's right in his name. He has to be bad. <laughs> it's right there in the name. Um, so it's been it's been quite strange. Like they, um, and this has been written about in various places, including Fangraphs, but also over at Lookout Landing. Like they are, um, they are bordering on being like a historically clutch team. Like if you look at at the just like the the things that we normally look at when we're starting to assess whether or not a baseball team is good like Seattle does not qualify by those standards right they are 15 games over their Pythagorean expectations 17 games over their base runs record they have a negative run differential they keep getting blown out all the time like so this is a fun stat. It's terrible, but it's a fun stat when you think about it. Like they're 11 and 28 in blowouts, which baseball reference defines as like five plus runs, which is a staggering stat, both in terms of how many of those games they have played <laughs> and also what their record is in them. But they they are just like a, a deeply clutch team. Their, their hitters are are like really very clutch. So clutch is like, you know, this is not a predictive stat in, in the least, but, um, but it's when, happened. It's when we, when, when you, when you scroll over to the win probability tab on the fan graphs leaderboards, like Seattle is 
number one with a bullet when it comes to clutch and the gap between them and literally the Phillies who are second, which is its own funny wildness is, is quite substantial. So it's like they have, they have sequenced their runs very well. They have been very good in one run games. They have a potent bullpen um, they are otherwise like unremarkable. Now I think that there are aspects of their roster that are like, if you're a Mariners fan that are really exciting and that have been good in this last month in a way that you can get excited about, right? Like Logan Gilbert has been good. And Jared Kelnick, who had a just atrocious start to his major league career has been very good over the last month. And so you can look at it and say like, oh, like there are parts of this that even if they don't manage to sneak into the wild card, make you excited about the future. Um, but it is, it is kind of confounding because they should be, they should be well out of it. Like we shouldn't be talking about the Mariners with a couple <laughs> days left in the season. We should, they should be in the, in the like the D backs and the Orioles range of teams that are just like not relevant right now. But here we are, um, and it's it's really fun. Like you watched the game last night, and that ballpark was rocking. People are really excited about it, and the team is coalescing around this idea. And you know, if they manage to sneak their way into the playoffs, like I imagine that they will not win like I don't I think like you know even in a one game format would prefer the Yankees but like it's exciting I applied for a division series credential let's go (laughs) so what are the vibes in Seattle because talking to people that I know there and even like Chris Crawford who co-hosted last week it's very much like yeah, you know this team's really not that good. And it's very, the attitude I've gotten for people I know who are some of it are just, hey, shut up with the facts and just let us enjoy this shit. <laughs> um, and I get it because it's been a long damn time. Is yeah. that kind of where it's at? I think that there's some of that. Like, I don't want to – I don't want to harsh anybody's vibe, you know. I think that um, people have to, like, get invested in their own way. Like, the, the way that I have kind of come to look at this is that – there is something very fun and engaging about knowing like what what we should be seeing and then appreciating what we are seeing that isn't that, right? The divergence between the baseline expectation of a team like this and what they're actually managing to do every night is really exciting because it's weird and like it shouldn't be happening this way. Like we're seeing versions of this across baseball right now and I think that a lot of the performances from from streaking teams are like undergirded by more quality on the roster than this one like who are you you're starting you're starting logan gilbert in a wild card game like you're like really excited about like kbo cast offs but they've had good performances from some of those guys so i don't know i think that there's definitely a contingent of mariners fandom and i do not begrudge them this perspective at all because it has been so long that it's just like hey shut up let us enjoy this and then i think that there is a, a part of mariners fandom that like appreciates just how strange this is and how much it is diverging from expectation and they are enjoying the divergence like they are not um, you do not have to disabuse them of the idea that this this is a pretty mediocre roster overall, but that doesn't mean they can't enjoy like this weird ass team like being being in it on September thirtieth. You know they just get to sit back and watch the scoreboard today because the Mariners are off. But I don't know. Like I think people are excited. the The Mariners faithful I think is a a smaller contingent than it has been in years past. And I do not say that as a knock on anyone. It's just like they have not given the city much to root for. Um, over the last twenty years, there have definitely been seasons where they have been in it late, and I think that the city has responded. But you know, it's a it's a smaller group. But that small group is like very fervent, right? If you're able to survive the crucible of the last twenty years, like I had a flip phone the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs. You had a phone? Um, 
I was in high school. I was a I was a sophomore in high school. Is that right? It was two thousand one. Wow. Man, got a phone early. Yeah. Well, you know, I had to take a city bus to school, so I needed it for emergencies. Like, what emergencies am I having on a city bus? But um, but yeah, like it, it, I was in high school. George W. Bush was president. Like, it's been it's yeah. stuff has happened in the world since. Then. Yeah, I was I was in my thirties. Yeah. Um, speaking of weird, have you seen? Have you looked at uh, at Kyle Seeger's home run splits? Home home road splits. Yeah, they're they're quite strange. I can't pull them up right now because Fangraphs is not cooperating with me. He's hitting 156 at home. Yeah. 156. Yeah. Five, five, and on the road, he's hitting 261 with an 861 OPS. He's yeah. like a different player. They have so many weird things. But, yep. um, you know, there was a moment in late July when the Mariners traded, at the time, maybe their best reliever. Yes. And Kendall Graveman to the Houston Astros, re- getting in return. Abraham Torrey, who got off to a great start, but it's kind of bought him out a little bit lately. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of a, a an anger point for a lot of Mariners fans and the fact yes. that they felt like like Jerry was saying, Yeah, this isn't gonna work, I'm gonna move on. Um it hasn't seemed to really affect them though. Right. I think that I, I think that the timing of that trade relative it, to It's kind of an order of operation thing. Yeah, I think that that had a lot to do with it. The point that I made at the time was if you're going to be angry about anything, which, you know, fine. Um I I would be frustrated with the fact that they um had such a quiet off season and that at the deadline they did not have a better roster that would have inspired them to like push in more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if that's the perspective you want to have on it, fine. I, I do think it was sort of an order of operations thing because they just come off of that like really intense extra innings win against Houston. And, you know, Graveman had for better or worse been like kind of an anchor in that clubhouse and the guys seemed really excited and like they were getting ready to to believe in themselves over the second half and then this guy leaves and the wind kind of gets taken out of their sails i think that to seattle's credit like they had a pretty good understanding of what they had in seawald and probably and i think ben you wrote about this at the time that like i did you know graveman was has had been really good to that point his peripheral suggested that he was perhaps over his skis ever so slightly um i actually don't know how he has done for houston since he was traded um but you know i i think that they were confident that they had sort of in-house replacements uh for him that that were worthwhile they've been and kevin like i i don't need to tell you this like they've been pretty good at developing pitching and getting more out of pitchers in the last couple of years like seattle has seemed to make good strides there and i think seawald is an excellent example of that but yeah i don't know it was it was a weird trade at the time um just from a, a timing perspective i think that if they had had the the luck of not having faced houston that very week that the reaction to it probably would have been more tempered um but it seems to have been mostly okay since then right like seawald's been great sadler's been strong yeah. second writer whose name i thought was strecken writer for like a <laughs> long time but that is not his name has been has been pretty solid. So I don't know. It seemed to be okay. No, um, Graveman has not been great on the Astros. He's been fine. Three ERA, you know, right. mid threes FIP. He's walking too many walking guys, dudes, basically. Yeah. Okay. That's so his he's, problem. He's basically performing the way that he probably, sh- you know, should have, should yeah. have <laughs> in the first half. Yeah, yeah Meg, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but you were pretty angry when they made that I was, trade. 
I was frustrated because of the timing. Um, I after after a bit of um, of noodling on it, I think the place that I arrived at was mostly that the thing that frustrated me was that they had been so quiet in the off season in ways that didn't suggest it was about having a firm organizational plan, but was really about cheapness, right? Like this team you know, had advanced talks with Colton Wong, but he wanted another year and they wouldn't give it to him, right? Like, they talked to Taiwan Walker, who has been pretty bad of late, but, like, they talked to Taiwan Walker and he wanted another year and they, like, wouldn't give it to him. And it's not like they're running a huge payroll. So I was irritated that, like, penny pinching for upgrades that would have been meaningful um, and that could have, in theory, extended beyond this year into the year that they actually think that they're going to contend had had sort of not happened because ownership wouldn't spend. Um, and so it's like, you know, be, be, be mad about that because that's what set up them being in a position that they are. But then, like, they, I don't know, like, they made some trades that have been fine and Toro hit last night. I don't know, man. I think that, like... <laughs> It's going to be the, I would imagine that if you're in a front office this this year where you are like on the brink of probably being good but not quite there has to be one of the most difficult to navigate from a trade deadline perspective because you are keenly aware of the prospects who are meant to sort of catapult you into your real window of contention and you're kind of hanging around and fans want you to go for it and you don't want to compromise what's to come, but also you could maybe break a 20-year playoff drought. So I, I have some sympathy for having to sort your way through that. Um, and it I didn't have to. I just get to be snarky on the internet, so it's a lot easier for me. <laughs> um. You know, one of the stories this week uh, after uh, one of the Mariners and the Mariners uh, 378th consecutive win against Oakland was <laughs> the uh, attendance or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, Scott Service said the right things, you know, and said, you know, we love the fans who were here and they were super yeah. loud and understand. But, um, you know, even with this kind of remarkable streak, they have been real unattended games even you yeah. know, as well as they're doing um you talked about how the seattle fan base is is smaller than it has been um is this becoming a real problem for him do you think i don't think so i think that um i think it'll be fine i think that like <laughs> like fans respond to winning or the the potential for winning right the 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 feeling going into a season that you're in it i think makes a tremendous difference if you look back over the last 10 years there have been seasons where seattle has made the effort to contend and said like we're trying to go for it we're trying to make the postseason this year and i think their attendance in those years has been better like people show up to watch robinson cano and nelson cruz and like peak felix people want to see that right when you're in it going into the last weekend and you've been in it for the entire season as opposed to relying on like this late season surge, I think that the attendance picture kind of shakes out a little differently. I also think that like it's hard for us to know how much of this is just people being reticent to gather in large numbers during a pandemic, right? Like sure, they are sure, of course. They are trying to do this in the midst of in the midst of the Delta stuff. So um I I don't know. I'm trying not to read too much into it. I don't think that 
it is fundamentally insulting to the city to acknowledge that it is not a packed ballpark. Like that isn't impugning anyone's character. It's just a reality of, of the situation right now. It's not like that's meant to make fans feel bad. Um, and I think the fans who are there are really excited and vocal and they're cheering those guys on. Um, and I expect that if they are able to ride this into a postseason appearance and then they have this exciting group of young guys coming up like this team you know like julio's not even up yet right like they have other pieces um that are coming that i think they expect will make them contenders for a little while and so i i i think that when seattle sees that that's the situation and the team is trying to win they'll respond to that you know like it's a beautiful ballpark it's great so I, it's not a bad it's not a bad place to like spend an evening when your team is like respectable and I think that there have just been really long stretches where this team has been not respectable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like they've just been bad. Yeah. Like it's been bad in a way right. that isn't fun. You know, it's been bad in a way that is kind of the, crushing. Yeah, bad and boring, which is bad the and boring, right? Is, and so this yeah. is maybe a little preachy, uh, unnecessarily yeah. so. But if you look at like kind of the the states that were hit hard early on by COVID, the West Coast states. Yeah, that's a what lot I was of attendance is down yeah. similarly. The Giants' attendance is down from 2019, yep. the same amount as the Mariners, like the same percentage. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> they're, they're trying. <laughs> they have 104 right. wins. But I do wonder how much of the attendance is just, yeah, like in Seattle, people had a really rough go of things. And I, I could imagine yeah. it's weird to go to public events. Yeah, that was going to be like how my follow up here was just that yeah. you know you are you're a Seattleite. Is that what is that what a someone from Seattle yeah. is? Oh, you're a Seattleite. Seattleite. You're a Seattleite, and um, you know obviously uh, you know when this all started 17 years ago, uh, Washington, <laughs> you know Washington State really was one of the first hot spots. Yeah. Um, I, I remember it, uh, the virus like really tearing through like senior centers and stuff there. Yeah. Um, so like they, my question like when you talk about this kind of thing is the culture of the pandemic itself a different dynamic in Washington to other place and places. And do you think that has been part of the reasoning here? Oh, I would imagine so. I mean, I think that there are um, a lot of there. I, I think there's like the, the part of it that is nervousness. And I don't say that with any judgment. Like, I think it's perfectly reasonable to feel nervous oh, yeah. in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and I think that, that there is just like a, like to Ben's point, there's sort of a seriousness with which it was taken. Um, it, it is a striking comparison between, say, Arizona and there. Like, I went home for a little while to visit my family um, in August. And, like, you know, every establishment has a sign asking you to mask. And there was a mask mandate. And that was driven by, you know, trends in the case data. And in Arizona, they're like, good luck. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, the, which isn't to say that there aren't places that are like, please mask, but the the teeth of it, the, the state is just not, you know, giving, lending support to municipalities that are trying to keep people safe. And so I think that it, it would not surprise me if this, you know, if you were able to transplant this season into a different year, with a different public health picture if attendance would be significantly higher than it is, you know. Um, Now, the counter to that is that, like, there are other sporting events happening in the city that are drawing better. And so I don't think it's purely attributable to that, but I imagine that it's a a not insignificant factor for folks. Um, Let's get back to the baseball team. Yeah. Um, So, you know, when I think about the 2020 Seattle Mariners, 
I think about endless animated gifs on Twitter of Evan White making defensive plays. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's all that's all I think. Right? It's the year of Evan White's defense. Um, and and that was that was Evan White's entire year. I don't think he um took, <laughs> exactly. he didn't have a bat in his it's hand the entire time. They managed to play him so much defensively without him ever getting to bat. Right. It's and crazy. that was that, that was with the COVID designated fielder rules. Right. And um <laughs> you know, so Ty France is the first baseman now. Evan yeah. White's not on the team. Ty France is having uh in terms of rate stats, the best year on the team. Yeah. Um, hitting two ninety three. He's got eighteen bombs. He's an unbased uh, driven by twenty six hit by pitches because he really crowds the plate. Yeah, he and, sure does. And but Ty France was like a it's a really good pickup. Yeah. He's a he's a pretty damn good player. Yeah. Um is Evan White just destined to be this decade's John Singleton as Maybe. a first baseman on a a a cheaper pre-arb extension who just gets stuck in Tacoma? I I uh, something would really have to change, you know. Something would really really have to change for him to for him to force the conversation, right? Like he's the that deal was um one that I'm sure he's really happy he signed, given how his his major league run has gone. But it's pretty, you know, it's peanuts money. So it's not like they're benching a guy who's making a lot and and sort of forcing a, a payroll conversation. Um, you know, he is like a defensive wonderkind, but he's a defensive wonderkind at first base. Like it's just right. the bat is enough of a problem that he's not really playable. You know, he's just, oh, I'm going to like grapple with Evan White's stats now and it's going to make me sad. I mean, granted, this is 104 plate appearances because then he got hurt and then he had season ending surgery. But like he has a 24 WRC plus as a first baseman. It's lower than right. he'd like. That's, it's right. not good. It was, the, it was in the 60s last year and, and, and you know, another right. admittedly weird year, but still. And he's never hit the big leagues. No, he's never hit in the big leagues. I think that, you know, they... He was a contact-oriented guy in college. They tried to adjust his swing. They wanted to, sh- to add more loft to the swing. That did seem to help, and he hit well in the minors, but, like, he wasn't in the minors for all that long, and so he didn't get an extended AAA run, you know, and so I just, I don't know, man. You can't you can't have a, a 24 WRC plus as a first baseman, and it's not like he's walking a lot. Like, he just... You know, he looks lost up there. It's really bad. And how is how are the, how are the folks in charge seen in Seattle? Like, you know, Jerry's obviously Trader Jerry, you know, and and, and but you know, things seem to be looking up in Seattle, and, and yeah. there's and there's more on their way. Um, I, Scott Service is very well regarded uh, within the industry itself. Yeah. Um, but but like, how how are the folks in charge seen? I think that there was a. Uh, combined frustration with DePoto and service early on. You know, there was also the the Mariners leadership team writ large has not like covered itself in glory in the last couple of years. Now, yeah. some of that stuff has been has has landed at at service and DePoto's feet, and some of it obviously hasn't. Um, and so, I don't want to like you know hold Jerry responsible for like Kevin Mather saying the quiet part out loud for. 40 minutes, but um, <laughs> I, I think that there has been um, has been at times frustration. There's been a sense that 
that DePoto has been too quick to move on from some guys. He did the thing that I think is not super uncommon for um, new executives who are new to a team to do, which is that like he didn't really have a ton of regard for like the the previous regime's prospects. Like he was pretty keen to move those guys in part because he wanted to bolster the big league club to contend, in part because he maybe moved on too quickly. Like lest we forget, this is a guy who like very blithely traded Chris Taylor for basically nothing. And I think I was at the game where Depoto decided to move Taylor because he was terrible at the plate. I think he struck out in every appearance and then he had like two errors in the field and then he was gone the next week. And I think Jerry was just like, <laughs> get this kid out of here. So I think that, um, you know, there has been a sense that at times he has been too quick to move on from guys. I don't know that he is actually worse from a, a trade perspective than anyone else. And some of his deals have, you know, ended up working out really well for him. Like the fact that he was able to get out from under Cano's deal remains like one of the strangest things that have ever happened in professional yeah, baseball. Like a but, big game. Too. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Weird. I mean, like the original version of that trade was supposed to have McNeil in it. So think about how much worse it could have been for the Mets. But um so I, I think that there's been some of that sense. I think in the last two years, um, when he has been able to get buy-in from ownership that, no, we really do need to like actually reset that the the components on the big league roster are not sufficient to get us to the postseason. We need to rebuild the farm. Um, I think that the, the perception of him has been uh, better, in part because it seems like there is a cohesive vision to what the front office is doing, in part because they have ended up with one of the better farm systems in baseball, which always makes everyone happy. Um, I think that people really like Scott Service now. Like People who did not like Scott Service previously seem to really like him now. I think that he has been viewed as, as sort of um, bringing this team together and helping them coalesce around this improbable run, especially after the Graveman deal. Um, and he seems very invested in these dudes and wanting them to do well. And so I think that like the, the general perception has been better. I think that one of the issues that DePoto has, and I don't think that this will change regardless of the quality of the product on the field, is that like he can get into kind of like startup speak in a way that is grating, right? Like <laughs> everything is wonderful and we're going to optimize and, you know, like he ends up kind of catchphrasey. Um, Did you watch Parks and Recreation? Have you, you've watched Yes. The, so uh, have, Jerry DePoto always is – he's Rob Lowe in Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I've had him like do exact like walk in our room and see him and go, oh, Kevin Goldstein, how are you? And you're like, <laughs> right. you're just, you are him right now. Right. Right. And so I think that that, um, that has bothered people when there has been um, like, you know, this sort of disconnect between him saying that everything is amazing and then this team like still not making the playoffs. <laughs> and, right. you know, I, I think that there is at times a perception of him as like, just not quite giving it to you straight and it's like no you can admit when stuff isn't working well and you can admit when you need to move on and um i it's it's tricky because i do think that they've legitimately made strides in their player development and i think that some of his traits have worked out really really well and they seem to you know this is an organization that like can develop pitching now and and not just getting velocity out of guys but like the pitch design seems to be much more coherent and is actually helping dudes so i think that it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to line up because on the one hand some of the stuff that he says is amazing like really does seem like it's going well and is going to bear fruit but there's there's kind of a like hey jerry read the room man like you know 
they're they're still not in the postseason. Like we can be honest about stuff and not use like weird consultant tech speak sometimes. It doesn't so. seem like he has a lot of range in like right. uh, how That's he a... thinks of things. Yeah, and you know, I think that like this is. Um, I don't always know, like the way that he engages with analytics is interesting to me because. On the one hand, I think that he is more attuned to like what he should know and care about than like Jack Z was, but also I don't know that he always like listens to that ops group the way that he should. And I don't say that with like special knowledge, sort of the way that it has sort of read to me. So I don't know. Like he's an interesting, he's an interesting character. He seems like he should be taller. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. But do, Let's but get like, into the real Jerry talk. Yeah, yeah, like, Jerry, why aren't you taller, man? <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to get away from the, the, the 2021 fun differential yeah. Mariners. Uh. But, um, I mean, do you do you feel like this team can compete in a, in, in a not, hey, they're kind of cute, they're kind of sneaky good? Do you think that they can be just flat out, no extra adjectives or adverbs good in 2022? Yeah, I think there's a path to that. It requires them doing some stuff, and it requires, um, it probably requires some of the prospects who have not yet hit the big leagues hitting. Um, not, I mean, some of them literally hitting, but mostly just being good, right? Um, I, I think that like this is a team that still has considerable holes, and those holes can be filled in a lot of ways. And some of them might be the prospects they have, and some of them could be them spending some money. So if they opt to do that, I think that there is a path for them being being like a a good competitor. I don't know that they would necessarily challenge for the division, but I could see them coming into twenty twenty two if they've signed some guys as like, you know. Uh, wild card contender, but like, let's think about this. Let's assess this. Mar- oh, roster resources working again. Thank God. Um, let's look at let's look at these here Mariners. So, um, after 2021, they have 19 million dollars of committed payroll. <laughs> not a lot. That's not a lot. That seems like an opportunity for well, growth. Mike, when you put they it that way, in- Evan White is 20 percent of their budget. How can they afford to bench him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, gosh. But like they, it, it does not seem likely that they will exercise their option on Seeger. So he is probably gone, which feels like as good a reason for them to make the postseason as any so that that guy can go out on a good note. Um, I cannot imagine them bringing Kikuchi back, which is wild, but he has been pretty bad lately. Um, and I mean, Paxton is coming off Tommy John and hurt uh tyler anderson who has been kind of a nice pickup for them is a free agent most of their bullpen veteran guys are out the door um you know they could like extend mitch hanniger that wouldn't suck uh they could uh you know they need some they need some pitching really they need some pitching they also need some hitters so you know they have some more so wait kikuchi will come back though right so he has his deal is weird so if they now, turn think, it down he has a player option for 2022 option to come and back I, for 13 million dollars so, i assume he would just right so he it. will right so he will come back but i cannot imagine that the 
That will be the terms of his return. It will not be the club exercising for oh, yeah. their year. option because I think if he if they exercise their club option, like it, does it maybe like I don't know. There's something. Well, weird it's in that four years, bus, but so and it's right. more expensive and they're in their years. Yeah, and they're not gonna and they're not gonna do that. <sighs> and um, so, but but yeah. just to sum up your you know after you take a look at the roster and what they need um, to sum things up, they need pitchers and hitters. Yeah. Okay. I mean, some of those, some of those hitters, they will have um, potentially internally, right? Like we'll probably see Julio at some point next year. I would, I would think so. Yeah. Um, probably not right away. <laughs> yeah, no, he, well, we he don't probably know needs like fourteen days to figure out how to play defense. I mean, in fairness, in fairness to Seattle on this point, like he is twenty and has not played above double A, so like he might. Yeah, they ended up looking more, not so he, bad on Kelnick. Yeah, but um, yeah, they did not end up looking bad. I mean, they still looked bad because it was clear that the process behind that wasn't really about his talent at all. But um, he did he did need a little uh, time to adjust. Guys do it happens. It's not a weird it's not a weird thing. Baseball's um, really hard. Baseball's really hard. But like they'll have they'll probably have Julio at some point next year um, if Kelnick is able to like ride this and legitimately kind of look like we expected him to that would that would be good um they have mitch for another year um they i don't know they like they have crawford still gosh they have ty france so like they have some you know i i imagine that like cal raleigh will see more full like regular duty at catcher um so it's like they they have some they have some guys they have Gonzalez for another year I think um, they have Flexen for another year right Yep So and he's he's been a terrific pickup for them like he's pitched well um, and you know then there's there's their young their young guys from a pitching perspective God roster resource please start working. I, I wonder if this it's is been how a bad like internet day, folks. Yeah, I wonder if this is how parents feel like when they go to their kids' recital and they forget stuff. It's like I I want to help you, but I can't. That's how I feel as a person who can't fix code stuff. Well, so. let's go back to vibes. Vibes. So uh, let's say it's it's not a miracle. Let's say the unexpected happens. Sure. The odds are saying that, and the and and the Mariners get to the wild card game. Yeah. Let's say the Mariners win the wild card game. Wild. A playoff game in Seattle. They'll fill the place for that, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be a very hard ticket to get, I would imagine. I I think that it will be quite a fun sight to see if they are able to play home games in the postseason. It's just been so long, man. It's been such on. a long time. Well, Meg... Before that you go, you, are you, you're still doing Effectively Wild, correct? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, ben and his wife, Jesse are having or have had a baby, um, which is very exciting. Um, he will be taking uh, some time away from the pod to like, enjoy his family and, uh, and his new baby. But we're still doing three shows a week. I am sure that both of you will join me at some point on Effectively Wild <laughs> as I fill stuff up. But yeah, we're still doing Effectively Wild. We'll still do our postseason streams for our Patreon supporters. Um, I will endeavor to not uh, crash the car while 
Ben is gone, which is good because Ben doesn't drive. So if I crash it, then we're really in a sorry in sorry shape. Uppity New Yorker he is. <laughs> well, Meg, I want to thank you for coming on and discussing the wonderfulness of the Seattle Mariners. Um, if you want to follow Meg on Twitter, which is just a great place Love to be, it. it's <laughs> at at Meg Growler. Uh, anything else to plug, Meg? Uh, read fangraphs.com. It is a good baseball site with smart words. And you should support it as well. Meg, yep. thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Whoa, I've had one too many. My mouth feels heavy, but the night feels new. The band starts playing Do you feel like staying? Can I go with you? It's just you and me Spinning the twins Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks to Meg for coming on. On short notice, we lost our planned special guest due to technical difficulties, but always good to have Meg on to talk about the super fun. They're, they're just fun. The Seattle Mariners right now. Um, you've been listening to the music of Bad Bad Hats. You're fun to call. Uh, Bad Bad Hats are on Don Giovanni Records, who supplies us with much of the music you hear on our podcast. Um, and their new record is called Walkman, and it's getting tons of a craze. I, there's a huge article today, actually, in Onions AV Club about how it is the catchiest low-key album of 2021. Uh, but Bad Bad Hats is an indie rock band from Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, and it is just utterly, utterly pleasant. Their music is rooted in classic pop songwriting with elements of 90s rock influence 
and an overall lightheartedness. And God knows we need that in the world today. Uh, they are Carrie, Chris, and Con. They've toured the country several times in their trusty minivan. They have toured with the Beths, Margaret Glassby, the Front Bottoms, Hippocampus, and Third Eye Blind, among others. My God, they're better than that. It's a, uh, a wide range there. Two full-length albums, Psychic Reader and Lightning Round, before Walkman came out. You can learn more about them at Bad Bad Hats. And I highly recommend you go read that review at Onions AV Club. It is one of the catchiest albums of 2021 and just utterly pleasant. Though, thanks to the fine folks in Bad Bad Hats and the fine, fine folks at Don Giovanni Records for providing us with this episode's music. Are you ready for emails? Let's do it. Our first email is also 33 episodes in. Our first email that required some research, and Ben did that research. But here we go. This email is from Rafa, and Rafa says, "Hi, Kevin. Love the podcast, of course. And that's a good. That's important. Of course, you do. Yeah, implied. Um, <laughs> been here since episode one. After recently watching Tyler O'Neill homer off Brett Anderson and Zach Davies, I started wondering if he has actually hit at least one home run off a good pitcher this season." It seems like everyone's singing Tyler O'Neill's praises these days, but while he obviously has light tower power and you still got to beat the Pirates and the Diamondbacks, I feel like good pitchers carve him up like he's Tyler Saldino. I just went through his home runs this year, and as it turns out, he has in fact homered off of five, in my opinions, good pitchers. Brandon Woodruff twice, Trevor Bauer, Anthony Disclafini, Sonny Gray, and Phil Bickford, who, okay, at least he's decent. That means 26 of his 32 bombs have then come off the likes of, have you even heard of, Seth Frankoff and Trevor Steven? I guess that's probably typical, but is there a statistic that measures a hitter's OPS plus against above average pitchers? There must be, but I wonder why such a stat doesn't get more publicity when we're talking about batter performance and value. It seems like an important measure. This is an interesting thing to think about, Rafa. Um, Before I get in my answer, Ben, you actually decided to dig on this a little bit yeah so i think i will talk about o'neill's specific results against varying levels of competition and also what i think it means about all hitters so i decided to do some work but not too much because i'm marginally lazy it's just a goddamn podcast for Christ's sake. exactly it is just a podcast and so how much work am i truly going to do okay so what i did was i separated o'neill's uh, appearances against each pitcher he's faced into some groups. Uh, I did it in thirds because I'm lazy and thirds are fewer separations to do than fifths. But I also don't think it matters that much. So the best third of pitchers O'Neill has faced are really good. They've allowed a 261 WOBA this year. Just used WOBA because it's easy. Lots, lots of this is just me wanting to use things that are easy. Uh, you'll notice as we go on. 260 WOBA is a really good pitcher. They make hitters hit like Elvis Andrews. Right. It's bad. Against those guys, O'Neill has been really good, better than average. He's had a 305 Woba. Pretty good. The middle group, he's hit really well. They are average pitchers, and he's hit like a 380 Woba. Good hitter. The bad pitchers, they're bad. And he has had a 500 Woba against them. So he hits. Wow. Yeah. He hits. And they, um, they allow a 370 Woba to your average hitter. So you'd think he's a good hitter. He's facing a bad pitcher. He should be in the 400s. He's at 500. Um, He's hitting bad pitchers very well this year. And so you might say, oh, yeah, well, he's hitting good pitchers much better than average, too. And so it's not, you know, a devastating thing. But you could make the point, hey, uh, this guy, he 
his stats are maybe exaggerated if you face some good pitchers because he does a lot of his extra damage against the bad pitchers. So is that less valuable? I'm not sure. But, but Kevin, I went and looked at all of the batters that Tyler O'Neill had faced, or all of the pitchers that Tyler O'Neill had faced before 2021. Did the same thing. I divided them into thirds. Okay. Against the very good pitchers, 270 Woba allowed overall. He's been a 300 Woba hitter. Better than he should be against those guys. He hits good pitchers much better than most hitters hit them. Right. Against the medium pitchers, he's been fine. Uh, they allow a 315 Woba. He hits for a 325. A little bit better than average. Against the very bad pitchers, 365 Woba allowed. He has a 340 Woba. He sucks. He's terrible. He can't hit bad pitchers. He can only hit good pitchers. So what I think this means is that Do you that feel comfortable is... with these sample sizes? No. I think that's the other... That That's what this means. Like, the sample sizes are small. I don't think it's meaningful. O'Neill before this year, couldn't hit bad pitchers. He could only hit home runs off of good pitchers. <laughs> this year, O'Neill has destroyed bad pitchers. I just don't buy that it is a skill that is replicated long-term in any way that we can measure with the kind of sample sizes we get from a guy like Tyler O'Neill's career. He just hasn't been in the majors long enough for this to kind of work out to something meaningful. Right. That's my read on it. So teams do do this kind of thing, but they don't necessarily do it uh, the way you just did it um, and kind of, um, you know, hole pitchers into, you know, good, average, and bad. Um, but teams do measure how players do against specific pitches, and one of the specific things is is, is fastball velocity, right? right. How does... How does, this, how does this hitter perform against 95 plus? And, and a significant amount of thinking into using that is the playoffs. Now, you know, we obviously talked about the Cardinals and, you know, we know Adam Wainwright's going to start a wild card game. But for the most part in those early playoff games, when you think about the bullpen, if you think about the stud starters you're going to look at, you're going to be seeing velocity. Oh, yes. And so it's really, you know, it's, can this guy do, you know, something against velocity? Where I've seen stuff done that is more um, related to, what you just did, Ben, is on the amateur side come draft time, right? And so, right. you know, you have some kid at Arkansas who just hit 420, and then you go, how did he do Friday in con- – how do you do on the weekends in conference games, right? Because their first 15 games were against Louisiana State School of Cosmetology, <laughs> and then they have two weekends – and they have, like, weekday games during the, during the season. Like, they play a game on Wednesday or they play Tuesday and Thursday – and then they're playing um, like Southeastern Arkansas State School of Agriculture, right? Right. And so you, then you go, let's get let's get rid of all that noise, and let's just talk about what this dude did in SEC games on the weekends. Um, and so that does where you try to kind of get rid of some of the noise from the from the competition mismatches. Um, so teams do that on the amateur side. Um, but on the pro side, the only thing I've ever really seen is more against specific stuff as opposed to a specific group of pitchers. Yeah, and those seem like much more real splits, the stuff splits. They seem to stabilize faster. Yes, for sure. Uh, you know, there are guys that just can't hit breaking balls. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess my point would be, don't read too much into whether a guy hits well against bad pitchers or good pitchers. If a guy can't hit fastball, if a guy can't hit fast fastballs, that that's a thing. And O'Neill is not the best at hitting fast fastballs. He's fine. He's above he's above average relative to the league for sure at hitting fast fastballs. Not as good as most big yes. tower power sluggers are. But yeah, I would just say don't worry too much about it. Next year, 
I mean, two home runs off Brandon Woodruff, that's impressive. No one hits home runs off good pitchers. That's kind of, uh, that's why they're good. It's one of the one of the prime reasons they're good. Um, yeah, Tyler News, uh, I think Tyler O'Neill is really good. And if uh, I was the Cardinals, I would be very optimistic about his 2022 season. Yeah, I uh, almost asked Meg about uh, the O'Neill marco Gonzalez train, but I didn't have the heart. <laughs> uh, our next email comes from Brandon. Brandon says, hi, Kevin and friends. It's just one friend, but that's okay. Uh, first time listener, long time caller. I discovered your podcast through the infinite inning a few months ago. I will, I think it might even be up. I'm on it. I did an infinite inning where I had a, uh, a reunion about the old Sunday night MLB network radio show with me, Stephen Goldman and Mike Farron. That was a lot of fun. And Mike and I spent way too much time talking about why we love the city of Chicago. Um, I've tried to listen every week since, uh, what tried, tried to listen every week since Brandon, come on, Put a lot of effort in listen every week since. Uh, I appreciate your insights into the game as well as the variety of guests you have, not to mention the new music. I think about the last season of Brockmire. I've never seen Brockmire, Brandon, I'm sorry. Uh, and their take on ownership and baseball popularity. And I can't help but think there is something to be said about where baseball is headed in the future. This isn't a new trend, and we don't have to go into all the evidence that baseball's popularity is waning in the United States. You don't need to look any further than the dynasty league I play in. At 32, I am the youngest player in a league composed of mostly middle-aged white guys. Is baseball going to fall out of the big three if it hasn't already? I love hockey, but you're kidding yourself if you think it belongs in the same group as football, basketball, or even baseball. When is baseball going to fall out? If it does, will it just become a niche sport like hockey? It's hard for me to believe it will ever, ever, ever fully die out like hopefully horse racing and boxing will but I'm not confident in its ability to regain its former glory as America's pastime or even get close to where football and basketball are and where soccer may be soon. Um, Brandon, I think you're wrong, uh, first of all. And maybe I'm too optimistic and maybe I'm just a baseball fanboy, but um, I don't think your dynasty league is a good indicator of <laughs> baseball's overall popularity. I think it's a really good indicator of fantasy baseball's over you know, I was going to say bold take. Yeah, kids don't play fantasy baseball. Kids play MLB The Show. Fantasy baseball, uh, speaking as someone who plays fantasy baseball, not my favorite. Fantasy baseball is, 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 a, is a pastime for middle-aged men. It's a grind. And, and you know, as someone who you know, has often been invited to, to speak at various events that cater to fantasy baseball players, um, like I am the median age of those people, and I am 52. And it is, I don't think, I, I, I think you're looking at fantasy baseball's popularity you know, dropping in some ways. And, and as more people go to things that are a little more electronic um, or things that, and uh, you know, you said the grind, these are a little more simpler, like, you know, single day fantasy baseball. And, and, you know, even instead of doing that, just gambling. And so um, people don't have that commitment and they don't want to make that commitment. And so they want to play video games and video games are more fun anyway. And, and, and so I don't think you look at that. I know, I understand you're saying baseball's popularity is down and it is, and it's not where football is. Football is the big monster. We all know that. And that's fine. You just have to be fine with that. Baseball is still immensely popular. Baseball still does very well in terms of television and radio audiences, especially radio to this yeah. day. Um, I always was amazed. I'm quick tangent. Um, like a good friend of mine uh, who is a Miami native, um, shocked me years ago because you think about the Marlins and how you know how they're not their radio ratings are great. He's like people listen to the games, like the radio people are thrilled with them. I um, was um so I did crowdsourcing things for TV and radio. Yeah, I got yeah. more responses in radio. 
It's mm-hmm. <laughs> wild to me. And so, um, so but, you know, TV and radio show a big part of it. Um, they have all sorts of, of huge money coming in through various things that are not attendance. Attendance, you know, going to the game, the money you make from people buying tickets to the stadium um, and, and all this stuff that goes with it, parking hot dogs, T-shirts, um, continues to uh, go down in terms of a percentage of overall revenue because of all the other revenue streams baseball creates. I, I think holding baseball up to football is a mistake. Football is its own beast. It is the monster. It is bigger. No one's. It's not going to get caught. Um, but I still think I don't. I I don't see any scenario where baseball falls out of your big three with football and basketball. Do you? Yeah, I don't. And baseball takes in more revenue than basketball today, which doesn't surprise me. There, there's a lot more games, and basketball is a better TV sport. But baseball is much better in person sport, and I like basketball in person. Mm-hmm. I just think. I think it's easy to laugh about baseball's popularity and it does not lend itself to national popularity because you, unless you're a crazy person like me and Kevin, cannot actually keep up with the day-to-day stories of every team. There are too many teams. There's too many games. They're all playing every day. Right. And it goes on for forever. You can't really do it as a fan, but you can follow your team and a lot of people do that. And I think that's one of the reasons football does so well. It's also one of the reasons I think fantasy football does so well. It's just like we're playing the games on Sunday. Fantasy football is a a perfect delivery mechanism for football specifically. I totally right. agree. Um, and, and like you said, the commitment's nothing. There's, there is no, there's, it's a once a week commitment. And you can make an uh, event of it. Lots of people yeah. I know do. Yeah. There's those people who like, that's what their Sunday is. Yeah. Imagine doing that with baseball. Yeah. I, I, I do a couple days a week, but um, our final email comes from, from Brian and Brian says, dear Kevin, an esteemed co-host. Oh, thank you. Kevin, I realize that you're mostly into punk rock and other related genres, and the Beach Boys are significantly different than the likes of Naked Raygun. I'm curious of what your opinion of the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. I like hearing what people with deep musical interests but in different genres have to say. Think about the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. I typically hear trash, overrated, not for me but respected, and genius. What do you think? <laughs> The story arc for this band is so bizarre and fascinating to me. I'm 30. I've seen Brian Wilson's band at least half a dozen times. Also, can we all agree that Mike Love is the absolute worst? Yeah, we can agree on that. I, 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 have, I have no problem agreeing that Mike Love is actually doing So I think the Beach Boys are um, more important to the influence of modern American music than the Beatles. How's that? That's that's pretty strong. Um I, 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 yeah, I'm happy to put the genius label on Brian Wilson. Um, and, you know, they've done, you know, groundbreaking stuff in terms of, of production and harmonies and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think Pet Sounds is amazing. Um, I also think, like, you know, I have to admit this stuff's good. Like, my wife got into a lot of, um, like, super influenced by the Beach Boys and other sounds like 60s music, like that super vocal, super vocal harmony. Um, the Free Design is, is a, a particular band that comes to mind. And so you should, you should just listen to Free Design. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, heard they have an even greater influence on modern music than the Beach Boys, who are it, ahead of the Beatles. Ahead uh, of the Beatles. Um, so yeah, I'm fine with the Beach Boys. I don't like listen to them a lot or anything like that, but I, I, it's more I'm, I'm, in, I'm in your uh, but respected category, I think. Yeah, I think there's a um, there's definitely space to think that things are groundbreaking, epical, and genius, and just say, oh, it's not really for me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's where I'm on with them. I thought you know, 
it was just a good opportunity to say that the Beatles are overrated. And really not that good. Yeah, I have no opinion on the Beach Boys. I like the Bare Naked Ladies song, Brian Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> you maybe shouldn't have admitted that. I think that's a great song. I have no trouble. I have no problem saying that. A couple, a couple of episodes ago, we had like people had we had to admit what our shitty music that we liked was. So, yeah, um, it's time to catch up with. Oh, first of all, send your emails to us. Chinmusic at fangrass.com. Uh, we read them all. I do not have an intern. Uh, it's time to catch up with you, Ben. You went to a baseball game this week. What was the crowd like in San Francisco when you went to a game? It was fun. Um, there was a lot of scoreboard watching because the, the Dodgers were playing the Padres and the Diamondbacks were just so evidently outclassed in this game. It, it ended up being close. It was 6-4. It never looked like the Diamondbacks had any chance at winning. felt like the Giants constantly had the bases loaded. And Luke Weaver was just sweating through, you know, his uniform and then his next uniform and then his next uniform out there. His replacement level goatee just looking like a replacement level pitcher. It was, um, <laughs> it was a very fun atmosphere and the crowd was pretty into it. I went to, I have not been to any Giants games post the onset of the pandemic. And so my comparison point is a bunch of games from 2019 when I first moved out here. Yeah. The crowd was much smaller and much more into it. The 2019 crowds, the Giants were not very good then. And this crowd seemed to really get on the Diamondbacks when they're bad, really cheer for, I mean, especially Brandon Crawford, who is beloved. He's from around here. He's stuck around through the good times and bad and been really good this year. And the atmosphere was, it was a party. It's going to be awesome seeing some home games here. Um, and you're going to go to some, to the postseason games. So I'm going to miss games one and two because of a family wedding that I just absolutely cannot get out of. So (laughs) it's in Virginia. I cannot avoid going. It'll be very fun. I haven't seen my dad much uh, since the onset of the pandemic. I've only seen him once in St. Louis also to see a baseball game. So seeing him again is worth it. But it's sad that it, I mean, literally we're flying out the day of game one and we're flying back the day after game two. There's just no way around it. If they make it to game five or if they play a tiebreaker or wild card game or if they make the CS, I'm going. So Okay. I think it's gonna be great. I think that the city is a really good postseason town. So And what do you mean by that? You know, the Warriors are here and the city cares about the Warriors, but the 49ers aren't in the city anymore, and baseball is a big part of San Francisco. You see a lot of Giants hats, you see a lot of For Giants sure. jerseys just walking around the streets, and people really care. I've been stopped by more people who recognize a Fangraphs hoodie here than I was by a huge long shot in New York. And, and the football team plays way far away, right? Oh, yeah. They're they're in Santa Clara. It's, or Santa Cruz, rather. It's not close. Maybe it's Santa Clara. I'm sorry, 49ers people. Yeah, we don't care. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and the basketball team is now in San Francisco? The basketball team is now in San Francisco. It's a few blocks down from uh, from Oracle. Oh, Okay. But, I don't know, that, that's more of a whole Bay Area thing. Right. And also, they were bad, you know, they're, they're beloved in Northern California, but they've been kind of off and on over the past 20 years, where the Giants, you know, have been really good a lot. Now, obviously, the, you know, the Bay Area has two teams. You have um, San Francisco and Oakland, and the, the dynamic between the two could not be more different. Um, the Giants are, are an ultra successful franchise. Um, part of that is due to their um, geographic area of control, if you will, 
in terms of things. And, and Oakland obviously has the stadium issue and wants to get out of there probably. Uh, like, what is, if you live in the Bay Area, kind of what is the... I'm trying to think like what the ratio I'm asking for here. Like, is the world there like 80, 20 giants is a hundred zero giants. Is it, um, and you know, obviously, I mean, you're biased cause you live in the yeah. city of San Francisco and not Oakland, but like no one in San Francisco cares about the Oakland A's, right? No. Um, okay. <laughs> people who lived in Oakland, yeah. but it is, it very much appears to me to be a giant's town. And, I think the Bay is a little more nuanced. And when you grew up experiencing baseball has some influence. If you were a mid 2000s fan, you probably like the A's more if you're not in San Francisco. Right. Because those were you know, the Moneyball teams. Moneyball was out by then and it was fun. If you started being a fan between 2010 and 2014, I assume you're a Giants fan. I mean, it just doesn't make that much sense if you lived in North Bay or South Bay or something. To right. Say like, I'm going to root for these middling A's over these Giants who are constantly winning World Series. It, It's definitely a your choice of big brother, little brother, or cool guy hipster dynamic. There are some hipster A's fans, and it is a fun experience in a different way to go to A's games. Yeah, I totally agree. It really is. I like, yeah, I know. And this, I mean, knowing that this, no one's going to say a good thing about the stadium, but I, I kind of like their fan base quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think the average A's fan is a more knowledgeable diehard A's fan. That's just kind of by nature of the wide reach that the Giants have. (laughs) Right. It's all all that's left. Yeah. The Giants take everyone and the A's kind of get the people who really want to be A's fans. And so they really want to be A's fans. It's cool. Like, I think going to an A's game because of that is fun, but they're not particularly well attended. No. Um, Are you going to any of these games as a member of the media? This year, no. Um, I will be in the postseason if I get my credentials. We'll see how that goes. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, so you plan to, if if things work out, and, um, you know, for those who don't know, the NLB credentialing system is a nightmare at times. Uh, But if you do get credentials, you'll be going to these games as a member of the media. I will. Will that be your first time? I went to the weird pandemic playoffs last year in Oakland. Oh, okay. And those were weird. Um, I don't think those count. You know, that's that's not a good comparison for this. How were those weird? So there were a ton of White Sox staffers. It was White Sox against A's sitting in the section over from me. And you could hear them talking to the players and at times hear the players responding to them. And you anything could- interesting? You could certainly, uh, no, there were a lot of attaboys and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of profanity. I The TV filters were pretty good, apparently, because I was watching these games later and you couldn't hear any of it. But it, it was a lot of fun for that reason. And, man, it, somebody hits a pop-up, like, the F-bombs just came out immediately. <laughs> Not only for so, the players, but, you know, the dugout. So where were you sitting for these? So they didn't have press boxes. That was my yeah. So you, you there were no press box. We were in like the lower bowl. Uh, they set up. There were some like you know supposed to be nice seats, and they basically put numbers on them and gave you a box lunch and a plug for your fo- for your phone or computer, and you just sat there. We were midway between home and first, so like over the dugout basically, but all the way back at the back of the lower bowl. Okay. I assume, I mean, I don't even know. I assume you'll have a press box for these. 
you'll yeah, be in the press you'll or auxiliary. Al- you'll, you'll be in an auxiliary press box, I'm sure, because you're not national. Right. I'm not a real media person. You're not a real media person. Um, they'll pitch in a corner somewhere. Yeah, I think that's that's my understanding. But there will be just, real press boxes. Yeah, it feels like it's just it will be a different vibe just because you can't. I, I just feel like a huge part of that experience is kind of standing on the field before the game and catching up with people and getting some things going and then obviously being able to talk to people after the game, but it's still going to be an all-Zoom world. Yeah, um, it's going to be strange. I think it helps me that I never, I've never talked to a baseball player. <laughs> Are you? Is that true? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, my friend saw Evan Longoria in her building when there was a fire alarm and everyone had to evacuate. She lives near the stadium. That's that's about the closest I've gotten. Wow. Is yeah. that something you do? You want to? I mean, I'm not against it. I think it'd be cool, but I. I yeah, I think I'm. I'd like to, but I don't like. You know, we kind of we aren't beat reporters by any means, right? And it, I'm not sure how helpful it would be for the current type of work I do. It would be very helpful for my understanding and enjoyment of baseball. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like it just hasn't come up, and eh, that's reasonable. I'm surprised I haven't run into anybody at the winter meetings or something, right? Um, I don't know. Not a lot of players go to that, though. Yeah, well, then there you go. Very few. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and you know, to be clear, at Fangrass, we are going to be covering the playoffs top to bottom and with every game, right? All sorts of stuff. So, so, series previews, um, game write ups. There's going to be some Twitch live streams here and there. Um, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be all over. It's going to be a crazy week starting, uh, I guess, Monday, maybe. Hopefully, but certainly, hopefully. Certain, hopefully Monday, certainly Tuesday. Um, it's time for a moment of culture, Ben. All right. What do you What do you have? So I think I'm going to take a slight tangent from our normal uh, TV. I think I did a video game once. Uh, I really like board games. Okay. I think that more and more board games are a you know a normal adult hobby in a way that they yes. weren't uh, 15 popular. years ago. Every town's got a game store now. Every town has a game store. We were in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin for a, a family wedding for my wife last week. Went to the mall because she needed to pick up uh, like a last second article of clothing, some socks or something. We didn't have any. And I didn't want to go into whatever store. So I wandered around the mall and found a really nice game store. It, it shocked me. This place does not have that many people in it. Uh, game stores are everywhere. And board games are awesome now. And one that I've particularly enjoyed throughout the pandemic is this game called wingspan and the idea of the game is that you're a bird watcher i guess is kind of the theme but you put some birds in some nests and those birds lay eggs and then you go get some more birds and you watch those birds (laughs) and then at the end there's some arcane scoring system that makes no sense and you figure out who won and it it sounds not very good right i don't think i sold you on it through that description i'm looking at the box right now it is shockingly exciting and enthralling to play. And you play and you're like, I was just playing this game for two hours. Like, what is going on? I don't even like birds. I've never owned binoculars. It comes with 170 unique bird cards. There are bird facts on the cards. You wouldn't think I would care about that because I don't. But when I'm playing the game, I do. And <laughs> like, wow, this bird lays eggs in wetlands? I didn't even know that was possible. And... I don't know, games have gotten really good at the system being so, like, intuitive for people who are maybe not, like, lifelong board game players. 
that you get sucked into the game and it just feels interesting. Like you're making decisions that matter, but you don't have to plan 10 hours ahead. I think that used to be a big problem. I think that people who haven't given board games a chance are doing themselves a disservice because if you're thinking like, I don't like Monopoly in life, yeah, they're <laughs> they're not very good. But they've taken a, they've just continually advanced over the last 20 years and Every time that I hang out with friends who are not really into board games and they play some, they end up loving them. So I guess that would be my my moment of culture is that I think board games much more highly rated than they used to be and yet still underrated because they've continued to improve as their regard has improved. Wingspan. Wingspan. Go purchase it. So um, a couple, I guess it's almost two months now, uh, my wife and I went to the Bay Area. We uh, spent time with Margaret's family, in particular her sister, and on Sundays they play board games. There you go. And I always find them to have such kind of obtuse rule sets. And maybe I, I'm just not, I, maybe I just don't have the patience for whatever the learning curve is. What games do you guys play? Oh, the last time we played something called like Energy Empire or something like that. That sounds heavy. It, it's, yeah, it's just like, oh, no, you know, well, you... No, that's a green card. You can't play a green card unless your red die is a two and you have and you already have oil. You know, it just gets <laughs> into this world. You just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, this this one seems a little simpler. Yeah, I am a fan of simpler games. I I like games a lot, but I like when they're not too far into the thinking ahead. The whole, like, I need to make my plan for the next 16 turns because there are these restrictions about green must go with blue and red must right, go right, with right, pink. Right, 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 But then if you play red with the pink, then you can't play black next turn. Those are like, you know, people like solving puzzles. I like having some pace to mine. Mm-hmm. But I do, I just really enjoy the fact that there are so many options now. And yeah, it's not for everyone, but it scratches the same itch for me that video games do. And... I don't know. I think it's cool that, you know, you don't have to have a TV and a controller to do that these days. So Wingspan. Cost 55 bucks from, uh, what's this place called? Stonemeyer Games. It has cards and birds and eggs. Oh, yeah. Very, very high quality wooden <laughs> eggs if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I assume you're not. I, You know what? I, I've uh, spent my whole life really into high quality wooden eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Always been a big hobby of mine. Nothing better than a good, high-quality wooden egg. I mean, it's funny because I'm looking at this game. Like, I this I would far rather play this game than Energy Empire. Just looking at the just looking at the pieces and the cards. Yeah, I, th- I think that's about right. I like how it says this is a competitive, medium-weight card-driven board game. I guess medium weight is like a difficulty or complexity thing. Yeah, companies have gotten better about saying how complex their games are. Let's see, there's a site called Board Game Geek that will tell you the complexity of a game. Energy Empire is higher than 3 out of 5. Wingspan is less than 2.5 out of 5. So it is. Oh, I want to I play Wingspan. Meaningfully less complex. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I want to talk about a TV show on Netflix. Ooh. Uh, it, it is called Monsters Inside, The 24 Faces of Billy Milligan. And it's, uh, you know... It, even though there are no murders, oh, there are murders. It's a murder show. Like we, it's it's everyone loves murder shows, right? Um, you know, in a world of an overwhelming number of murder documentaries, this is a murder show, and it's about Billy Milligan. And this happened in Central Ohio, where I grew up. Um, and 
It's the case of, of uh, uh, there was a serial rapist on the campus of Ohio State University in Columbus. Um, they arrested a guy. And when they arrested him, this was in the 70s. And he was quickly diagnosed with multiple personalities. And it's about kind of how you, the, you know, the, the two interesting aspects of this, one is how you deal with someone who does something if they have multiple personalities, because like one of his personalities is a violent psychopath who did this and he wasn't even aware that person did these things, but that's who he is as well. You know what I wow. mean? Yeah. And then, and that's very interesting, like kind of the, the legal recourse and how they, you know, what they did about this. And at times it kind of wasn't nearly enough. And at times it was too much. And it's very strange and interesting to think about. But it's more importantly and also about like how this was happening in the late 70s, which was the time where multiple personalities kind of became a thing, like a thing, like a part of culture and a fascination, like, and, you know, books and movies like Sybil were huge, right? Right. And then the people treating him and diagnosing him and talking about him were also all in this world and were clearly um, benefiting from his mental illness. Right. Because they were using it for their own careers. Writing books and becoming famous and appearing on TV and all stuff like that. And, you know, and, and it's kind of very interesting that, you know, today even like, and it gets into this, like, it just became like this very hip thing to, 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 to diagnose and, you know, diagnoses of this uh, you know, being given went from like zero to tens of thousands in, in just a couple of years. Right. And it just shows like kind of the weakness of the system itself. And that's what, that's what people want. And all these people basically became this were all highly suggestible there. It was all happening under hypnosis, which is already very problematic. Right. Um, it's not even an accepted diagnosis anymore. Um, there's clearly a, a disassociative disorder. Um, but the, the concept of this kind of multiple personality stuff gets very weird. And like in all sorts of indications that this is just insane to even think he has this, like, you know, this, the, the, the more this violent personality had an accent, um, like an Eastern European accent. And then the guy, and, and the guy who diagnosed it said, yeah, he, he actually wrote me a letter in Serbo Croatian. And the guy was like, really? He goes, yeah. And I had to translate. It was perfect. And you're like, how did he learn it? This, and this guy was like from like, like, you know, lower class, rural central Ohio, like outside in Centerville. And like, when did he learn? And then there's like another, another one of her that was Arabic who wrote, who wrote and spoke perfect Arabic. Like how'd that happen? Come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like they're magic. <laughs> um, and it's just like the, 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 the depths they could go to, to almost to make the story more interesting to help them with their book and their promotion of this poor guy. And this guy was clearly um, exceptionally traumatized as a child and clearly mentally ill. Um, right. And, and at a certain point, just kind of getting exploited. Um, for what was wrong with him and the, the 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 need to exploit him almost led to worse outcomes both for him and for what became um, further victims because of his problems. I sadly feel um, like this is a uh, a recurring theme in medical discoveries. Perhaps yes. more so, you know, starts off real bad before yeah. the modern times is that as new things were discovered, they're both overdiagnosed and exploited. Mm hmm. And so it's an interesting way to go because I mean you know look I'll 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 enjoy a murder show with the best of them, um, but the fact that this kind of like twisted it a little bit on its on its edge and, and and focused a lot on the doctors who were treating him and the treatment he was getting 
and 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 kind of and again like the, it just the pure exploitation of this guy who did horrible things um but was also like clearly mentally ill and 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 tra- and traumatized um it, it was it was an interesting route to take it's like four episodes you can binge it we did um pretty simple stuff um but yeah the 24 faces of billy milligan it sounds well i was gonna say like a blast it does not but it sounds very intriguing it was very interesting it's well done um I think we're done here, Ben. I want to thank you for sitting in the co-host chair this week. I hope you enjoy the final week. I hope all the listeners enjoy the final weekend of regular season stuff. Um, plans for the postseason for the podcast are, um, I'm going to sound like an idiot here. Plans are being planned. Um, we're, we're figuring out, I, there, there, there definitely will be some extra stuff here for you. Um, so uh, if you are a subscriber and you'll, they'll just show up in your feed, but uh, expect something definitely before Friday morning. Um, hopefully we'll be talking to some people uh, who are associated either in media or otherwise with the teams that are participating and we'll have some brief talks with them and, and we'll try to entertain you that way. But for now, uh, thanks to Ben for co-hosting. Thanks to, to Meg for coming on and talking about those, those gritty plucky Seattle Mariners. Thanks to the fine, fine people in bad, bad hats for supplying the music. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, but we also will talk to you sooner than that. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Thank you.